I remember the rumbling. It felt like a freight train. And it goes on for a while, maybe 15. The tornado tore through our small town like a giant weed whacker. Was woken at about 5.30 a.m. by my bed slamming up against the wall from this massive aftershock. This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. being with us today on the 32nd episode of Design Safe Radio, the show that talks about everything nature has to throw at us and how scientists are working to make our society more resilient. I'm your host, Dan Zayner, from the Natural Hazards Engineering Research Infrastructure Network Coordination Office at Purdue University, and this is Design Safe Radio. Today we're finishing our interview with John Vandalint from Colorado State University and talking with him about his transition from earthquake engineering into researching other hazards. Enjoy the show. So you come through this NISOF project, uh, and that was probably getting pretty close to the end of NIS. Um, so how was your transition from, from NIS work to, to NARI work? So, uh, so between those two projects, there was actually a year where there was no uh, specific RFP related to you necessarily using that equipment. And so... Uh, so there, but there was a, there was a request for proposals put out uh, on resilient, sustainable buildings, and so uh, so we uh, we opted to to compete for that, and uh, and and there were four four funded. We did get one, and uh, and interestingly, that one is a non seismic project, and that was related to some of the the tornado work that I had started back in 2011, and so. Uh, so I've got a, again a, a you know great team of about seven people on this one, and so our partners are uh, we've got uh, a colleague of the University of Colorado, uh, Lori Peak, who many people may know, and then uh, and then my my colleagues here, uh, Hussam Abud and Bruce Ellingwood, and and then Kate Simon, and uh, and again we have an architect involved in that one for uh, reasons similar to what I mentioned, uh, you know, on the on the Tallwood project that's going right now, uh, and that that project's actually to look at. Uh, how you uh, it, it combines uh, tornado loading and trying to reduce fatalities and injury with expansive soils and clay, and the the idea is that in, in a lot of tornado regions they don't they don't build they don't uh, dig or build basements uh, yet uh, that's a place you can take cover and so the idea was you build the basement you use sustainable backfill. Uh, to keep uh, keep from damaging the basement walls, and and the, the big issue is that these basement and foundations, uh, they uh, there's about 15 billion dollars a year in damage due to expansive soils in the U.S. It's actually more than other hazards, uh, but but of course it's a, a slow non life threatening hazard, and so wow, very very expensive, and so so the idea was to come up with a, a, a new building concept that. Um, provided life safety by allowing people to uh, to shelter in place or you know shelter in their basement uh, and have this sustainable backfill that uh, that, that, that basically uh, keeps the basement walls from being damaged so you reduce the cost and you provide life safety just by you know really a fairly simple uh, simple change in a way uh, and so we've been looking at different concepts but we're doing that at the community level uh, not a single building level so there's a so it's it's to look at uh, how do you take a single building uh, and how do you design that in such a way that it 
that it is that it provides the community objectives they're looking for. So we have our partner also on that, that I, uh, Nayu Wong at uh, University of Oklahoma. And so she's she's looking at that essentially that deaggregation problem. How do you take this? Uh, how do you take a community and say this is what we want for the community? Uh, if there is a tornado or if there's, uh, well, you know, if there's a tornado and we know we have expansive soils and how do you then take that all the way back, backward to a particular building design? Hmm. As someone who doesn't have a basement in a tornado prone area, I thank you for this research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lived in Alabama a couple of years. So that was, uh, so, so that's, uh, uh, so that's where I actually uh, got into tornado research. Maybe not by choice so much. <laughs> Yeah, I think Elena touched on uh, both of your experiences in the uh, tornadoes in Alabama. Uh, Tuscaloosa tornado, yeah. Oh, man, that's just, I mean, where, so where were you when that happened? So, so interestingly enough, um, so I, I lived in Tuscaloosa at the time, um, but I had moved from Colorado uh, the year before, and so I was finishing up a project. So I was actually in the lab here doing seismic tests here. At oh, man. Uh, the day of the tornado, May 27th, that we always remember the day when it's something like that, uh, 2011. And so, uh, so, uh, and it was actually on the phone with my wife, but then the phone was going in and out. And, uh, and so I was texting with her because their, their internet connection had gone out. And so I was letting her know, uh, and my three kids, letting them know, you know, where the path was in relation to them just by texting. And, uh, um, yeah, and I, I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I'm sure there were plenty of people doing that. Yeah, that was definitely a scary, uh, scary, you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Uh, and, then, and then once it had passed, then there's, of course, like any hazard, there's a lot of disinformation that goes around, you know, that, oh, there's another one on the way or there's, you know, and, and, uh, and there was not, but, uh, but of course, uh, and I could see it, but they couldn't. So, so uh, getting that information, you know, to them and, um, so yeah, that was that was definitely. So then, then I then I got back to Tuscaloosa. I flew back, you know, as soon as I could. I think it was the next morning, and uh, had to drive a different route because the roads were had too much debris on them. So I had to uh, flank around to, to get to my house, and um, our house was not damaged. We were about two miles from the path, but uh, but in the end, um, I you know really having having this happen in your backyard, I, I didn't do tornado research. And in, in fact, a, you know, it was a pretty pretty. Uh, uh, narrow group that had done it. I think uh, Texas Tech and uh, at Western Ontario, a few other locations, and so a colleague uh, uh, at Alabama, Andy Gradinger, and a colleague at, at Florida, Dave Prabhat, and, and Bill Colburn, uh, who was at, with Applied Technology Council at the time. We got together and did an NSF rapid uh, on the Tuscaloosa tornado because it was it was you know it was right there. In fact, I remember being out in my truck. Uh, you know, having a having a cell phone conversation with Joy Poshke, who leads uh, <laughs> and just asking, you know, saying, "Hey, it's right here." You know, what do you think? And and uh, so Dave Prabhat led that one, and and we did a, about a five to seven day study. And uh, next thing I knew, I was also doing tornado research for the last eight years. So, wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing the the paths that life takes you. Sometime, right? <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I. I you know, I've, I've uh, in fact, I, yeah, I, you know, after Katrina, I do some hurricane work now. And after Tuscaloosa, uh, some, some, uh, yeah, after, after Tuscaloosa, uh, definitely some tornado work and have done, uh, you know, and 
Uh, I've done some tsunami work uh, after uh, seeing some uh, dechado down in uh, uh, Chile, and we had done some before. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so just to uh, have, uh, um, you know, really, you know, I've not played favorites with the hazards, although I'd say most of my work's still been in seismic, uh, simply, you know, simply because that's kind of where I started back in 2000. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it kind of speaks to like the the nature of this work, right? Is you have to go where the work is. Sometimes when you have these big hazards happen that are so impactful. Yeah, well, I think too. Some sometimes some of the the work in a certain hazard they have some some they have some really good methods and techniques and approaches, and and uh, the other hazards, uh, you know, people working in the other hazards, they may not be aware of those. And so, so when you, when you do have, you know, people or, or groups collaborating or someone crosses over you, you know, you get, if you, you port methods from, from one to another and you get a, get a lot of benefit from that. And, you know, I've had over the years, it seems like, you know, probably three or four students do dissertations that were simply on, you know, they're really, I say simply, but they're not simple, but simply porting. Yeah a method you know uh, a method from one hazard to another you know one one example is is really you know if you, you think of you think of wind engineering and historically wind engineers have always worked in, in what we call the frequency domain and that's that's where you're looking at you're not looking at the actual you know time series you know the, the wind speed over time and you're looking at the, the statistics of it and things like that but uh, and, and that can work for you know for certain types of wind, but when you get to when you get to tornadoes, everything starts breaking down and, and, and the logics that we use, and so uh, or at least attempted to use, and so so we wind up you know it winds up just just screaming for uh, for a different method, and so sometimes now those get done in what's called the time domain, which is which is uh, you know and and, uh, and and you know sometimes that takes somebody that. Uh, does, does didn't necessarily work in the other and so they don't know their you know their perception is well it's not wrong it's just different and yeah and sometimes that you know sometimes it's a dead end sometimes it's not but you don't know until you either hit the dead end or or <laughs> that's research for you that's right cool so speaking of research where does that take you now what, what uh, are you currently working on and and what are you looking forward to so so right now we've got uh, you know a few projects and and our you know and I uh, a few wood projects as well as some some uh, large resilience center and uh, the, the the wood projects one of the ones that, that I'm working on right now is uh, it's, it's been going for you know, quite five years about four and a half years it's kind of ongoing I, I think we should be wrapping up this year at least that's the the target and that that's funded by the uh, that's funded by the the it was the Forest Products Lab, which is part of the U.S. Forest Service and USDA, and and uh, and that's to look at something called cross-laminated timber, and so that's uh, that's the same same material that the Nary Tallwood project is on, is 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 utilizing uh, to build these these 10, 12 story, eighteen story buildings, or at least design them and build them, and uh, CLT or cross-laminated timber. It's it's been it's been characterized or called kind of plywood on steroids and you just you, <laughs> you take like a two by six or a two by eight and you lay them down against you know next next to each other uh, put on your your uh, epoxy or whatever you're using and then you lay them the other direction perpendicular to that and you and you basically build the thickness you want trim it uh, and then you have a what's a very very large wood wall and 
and these uh, these supply gravity load as well as lateral load. And so what we're doing is we've been working on uh, FEMA P695 analysis, which is uh, it's a report from back in 09, and it's a uh, it's what they call a rational method. It's always a little scary when any any report says it's rational because uh, you should say that, but they do. And, <laughs> and it's a rational approach to uh, establish seismic performance factors. And so, so for those that do any kind of seismic design in the U.S., you know, the basic approach is is to to pull those factors out of ASC seven or, or the International Building Code. And but for CLT, they don't exist. Uh, and so that's what our project's been working toward with a number of collaborators uh, from industry to, to, to try and establish those and then introduce them. And so what we hope to see is we hope to see them in, uh, you know, uh, hopefully ASC 2022 or, or whatever that version would be, or maybe a little before, but it uh, depends how fast things can move as soon as we're done here this summer. Wow. It's, it's always amazing to me and, probably even more so to folks who are who are not in an engineering background, how long it takes to get an update to a building code. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think when you when you go through school, I mean when I when I was in school, I you know, you would see the new code come out and and, and I you know you really you really at least for me, I had no idea that uh, of the amount of effort that went into like for instance just changing a couple of lines in there or one value, you know, that it was it was a student's dissertation and, and eight committee meetings to change one value on one thing. And uh, at the time, you know, had I known that maybe I'd uh, be a lawyer, I don't know, but no, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I wound up, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think, I think most people don't know that, uh, but it, it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, it's what makes, you know, what's, it's what makes the, you know, the buildings in the U S and, and Japan and, 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 you know, very, you know, the developed technologically advanced countries, it's what makes them the, the safest in the world. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know for myself going through engineering school, I didn't appreciate that kind of work, you know, that goes into all those tables you see in the textbooks. I mean, that's somebody's life work, some of those tables. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. And, and I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think overall, um, you know, a lot, a lot, you know, there's a couple of different level, a couple of different types of, of projects that, that, that we do. You know, sometimes we do the more kind of fundamental basic project. Uh, and, and there might be several of those that kind of lead to lead to one really focused project, you know, that, that you know, maybe these would maybe that focus project, it might be half of an NSF project, or maybe it's not funded by NSF, it's, it's something else. Uh, and, and sometimes it's just committee work where, where the, the committee, the committee members are meeting, you know, we, you know, like, uh, you know, again, coming back to uh, Elena, you know, she's, uh, she's going to lead a, a special uh, project or at least a proposal for a special project with uh, ASCE, the American Society of Civil Engineers. And, uh, and that one, uh, um, and that one's to uh, revisit, you know, we tried it a couple times to, but to really revisit performance-based design of, of wood and, uh, and, and establish kind of a method. And so all these projects that I've mentioned that I've worked on, that other people have worked on, they all, they all kind of culminate and you take this big body of work, uh, from, you know, 10 different people or 10 different groups or five different groups. And you start to try and see, okay, where do the pieces to the puzzle fit in? And then, you know, where are the missing pieces? Uh, and, and then that's what, that's what the committee tries to fill in with literature or 
by discussions with your, the European groups that maybe didn't do that, but we didn't catch it. Although we usually, you know, in general, if you're, it's your area, you kind of know, but um, mm -hmm. they have something ongoing that they've not, you know, published yet. And so they can say, oh, well, that's coming out in six months. It'll be ready shortly. You know, we can share it. And, and so you start to piece those and that happens at the committee level and that's how this stuff becomes code and, and becomes uh, something that affects affects real Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the interview today with John Vandalint. We're doing a new mid-episode segment this week on Nary News. This week we're highlighting an upcoming workshop that's going to be hosted at UC Davis's Center for Geotechnical Modeling. It'll be all on centrifuge modeling and it's Friday, May 18th, 2018 from 8 to 5 Pacific. You can register on the DesignSafe website. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, the Center for Geotechnical Modeling will be hosting a one-day centrifuge users workshop at the Nary Equipment Facility at UC Davis. The workshop will include tours and lectures by UC Davis personnel and outside users that will allow participants to understand the capabilities of the centrifuge facility, explore research opportunities and challenges, and discuss specific details towards developing proposals. Participation is limited, and priority registration will be given to faculty that are planning to submit or participate in the development of NSF proposals to use the centrifuge facility at UC Davis. <clears throat> research team members that are currently funded to use the centrifuge facility, and other individuals interested in learning about the Nary Equipment Facility at UC Davis. There is some limited travel support available for workshop participants, and those interested in receiving travel support should indicate so using the workshop registration form. Participants receiving funds will be reimbursed for actual expenses up to a pre-assigned threshold of $1,000 for junior faculty or $500 for senior. Currently funded NSF research teams are expected to support their travel costs within their existing research funds. Hope you, to see you out there at the workshop. And now back to the show. Change. Yeah. Speaking of committees, you're part of a committee in the in the NERI network that does some important work as well. Can you tell a little bit about that? It's a bit of a, a shift from the rest of the work you do, but it is a, an important role. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's called the NIAC, uh, and I serve as the, the chair, uh, at least this year, or maybe two, I think a two-year term as chair. Uh, and it's the Network Independent Advisory uh, Committee. And, and what we do is we... Uh, uh, we review uh, for uh, uh, basically we review uh, the uh, Mary quarterly reports, things like that. And we go through and we give kind of an, an independent angle. So we have people from industry, we have practitioners, uh, a couple of academics. I think I'm one of only about two or maybe yeah, I think two of about eight of us. And, and the idea is that we can give, uh, uh, you know, just like the name implies, we can give uh, on the, the Nary network, we can give a, uh, an independent, uh, not really an assessment where we're definitely advisory, but uh, we can, and, and we, we, we send that information directly to NSF. Uh, and so we work with uh, Julio Ramirez. He, he uh, helps organize our calls and, and, you know, I, I, you know, I chair, chair the call, but, but a lot of times it's, it's half of, you know, half of the call is him, uh, you know, he'll be presenting things that he's presented to NSF or sharing things. And so, uh, so, for, you know, one example is that, you know, the, the uh, he'll, he'll be putting on a, uh, a workshop, we hope, up, an upcoming workshop. And uh, and so we provided some input uh, to add a half day to that workshop and to, to, to change the, the scope, uh, not really change, but really, really maybe add to the scope of that workshop because it was a great opportunity to, for the NIAC, you know, this committee. Uh, to be able to answer some questions that were posed to them from NSF, but it needed a broader audience. You know, we need a hundred people to answer those because they're they're really you know 
least you know reaching and seminal questions and so so those are the types of things and so uh, so it's it's uh, uh, you know I think uh, um, you know to me it's a it's I guess I feel like it's a, a great opportunity to be able to provide some input having done you know you know seven eight nine whatever it is you know uh, NSF uh, projects with a number of them using these these shared experimental facilities and. I feel like I've got some some good uh, good input uh, because because that's been going on a while. Yeah, it's so important to get that feedback from people who aren't in the day to day work of Nary, and you can kind of give give us that that perspective where you instead of getting lost, the you lose the forest for the trees. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I, 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 yeah, you know, one thing I, I also, uh, uh, I also serve uh, right now on or as the chair of the steering committee for the Nary Rapids site, uh, and uh, and so for that we had a meeting up in Seattle about uh, probably about a year ago, because uh, that's led by the University of Washington, and so, and and uh, um, and in general that one's uh, that one's a, a less formal in the sense that uh, even though the name is steering, it's more advisory and. and and for that one, we we uh, you know provide just limited feedback on equipment and, and purchases and things like that, uh, just based on the group expertise. And so we have uh, sociologists, practitioners, geotech, uh, as well as uh, structural engineering on that. And I think there's I'm gonna say there's about seven of us on that. Hmm. Very cool. No, we're all looking forward to the rapid getting started up this summer. We've been working a lot on how we're gonna manage their scheduling of their projects with uh, the PIs over there. So that's been an ongoing effort, and they're doing just a ton of work, as as you well know, <laughs> getting ready. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think I think one of the things a lot of people don't don't realize is that, uh, you know, that you, you, it doesn't necessarily have to be a rapid to use that equipment. My understanding, at least, is is that uh, you know, if you're doing an experiment and you want to you want to you, know, you want to do a lidar scan of your damaged test structure or whatever you want to do it, uh, and so there's a lot of flexibility in there, and you know depending on if it's not an NSF project, there be, could be fees and things, but 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 that's uh, that's for the site to figure out, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's why it fits in so well with the Nary Network, right? Is it does give those opportunities for combined uh, projects with other facilities, which is kind of the hallmark of all the facilities in the network. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, in in fact, you know, you know, just thinking out loud. But when we when we do test that ten story structure, that that, that might be something that, that even you know uh, our RPI uh, Lang or Schling Pay down at Mines would would entertain because that's uh, that's something. Although for resilient design, we're not expecting much damage, so maybe we won't need it. <laughs> yeah, let's hope you don't need it. <laughs> so they aren't planning, at least at this point, to test it all the way to collapse. I mean, that would be. <laughs> big structure uh, no, to collapse no, on that no, we, we uh, shake collapse. table. Yeah, we wouldn't collapse the ten-story. Uh, um, I mean, of course, we you know everybody would love to see that, but uh, uh, but uh, except for the site, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Joel would really appreciate that. No, I, I mean, that, and that's the thing. <laughs> one of the, you know, like I, I mean, you know, the, for all those uh, listening that have been there, I mean, you've got the, uh, the the control building with all the computers and the hydraulics. That's you know fairly close. I think when they built it, they thought, "Oh, it's not so bad. We can protect it." But I think they really, you know, probably didn't envision testing ten-story structures on there um, back in <laughs> yeah. or when it was fun, or three when it was funded. But yeah, you never know. Maybe they did though, because uh, I mean, it was built outdoors for a reason. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's, you still kind of pucker a little bit when you think about a ten-story wood structure and fit 
falls just right, it could go that way. And, you know, there's people at the windows in that building that would like to know that they're going to be fine. <laughs> well, this has been an awesome interview. I mean, every time we've gotten to talk, it's been really, really great, uh, valuable time. And I want to end off uh, real quick with uh, how we usually end up with our interviews here is a personal story with a natural hazard. You've kind of touched on one a little bit. You may uh, want to retell that, or maybe you've got something a little bit more uh, impactful, but some way uh, a hazard has really touched uh, your life some way because everybody's got one. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So, so uh, yeah, so a, a number of them really, but I, you know, I guess, uh, I, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of mention the, the one night, I, you know, I went down to, uh, you know, after the, the big earthquake in Chile about, uh, geez, what would it be about eight years ago now, but, uh, and uh, went down, uh, went down with a group. Uh, we were funded by the Forest Products Lab, and we were part of the ASC, uh, ASC Seven team, I guess. But we were doing the, the wood uh, inspections and things, and um, and so we went down, and uh, you know we we flew in, uh, flew into Santiago, and we had to um, drive down to Concepcion, which is normally about, I think it's normally about a five and a half hour drive. But of course, all the there were bridges, you know. Uh, destroyed and so but so it took us about I want to say almost nine hours to get down there uh you know going rerouting going around things so that that was expected we we knew and uh and so we we got down and we pull into the hotel and we're just just absolutely uh absolutely exhausted you know having flown overnight of course and and uh, and then driving for nine hours and so we so we, we we get into the hotel and they say that they motion us down into the uh, underground parking garage and so we're we're driving down and and uh, um, you know it's kind of circling around and and then we we see this 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 massive column kind of not quite center there were a couple of them but and and one of them was completely blown and sticking out and uh, and this was this this you know massive reinforced concrete column that was probably probably holding up a good portion of the building <laughs> and or at least maybe it was up with two by fours and you know like like maybe a couple hundred two by fours all around and you know that if that sounds and so uh so as we we go down we take a look and and you know we wanted to take a photo but we were a little bit tired and so uh, so we thought okay we'll come back in the morning and take a photo and so so we went up and checked in and then and then as i'm going upstairs i am maneuvering toward my room i start to realize that I'm pretty much like just a couple floors directly above that big column. And uh, so my first thought is, you know, well, I guess it's, you know, uh, I guess as long as there's no aftershocks, I suppose. Uh, but, but of course I've worked in after, not back then, but after that I've done some work with aftershock, a different NSF project. And so, uh, and so, so I wound up, uh, um, you know, wound up exhausted, went to sleep and then um, sure enough, was woken at about 5.30 a.m. by my bed slamming up against the wall from this massive aftershock. And my first thought was, oh, I'm going to drop about 10 feet when that column goes. And so we walked down, and as we were leaving about an hour later after breakfast, we saw that they had already poured the column, and it was already hardening. They had apparently poured it, like, right after we saw it. They must have cut the rebar and and, and done all that. And so, um, so, uh, but anyway, so, um, so then, uh, so then after that, I don't know that this had a lot to, to do with that other than, uh, other than, 
you know, I went uh, went back uh, to the U.S. and, and uh, did did some aftershock work with a, a student uh, for a couple of years, a three-year NSF project with a colleague who was at Michigan Tech at the time, and um, and uh, and so uh, you know, I, I think I think probably the biggest uh, we 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 did inspections for a week there, and and for me, I think the biggest uh, impact uh, was actually not the column, but it was it was really talking to a. Uh, you know, talking to, uh, uh, I guess he was probably about, well, he seemed really young, but I suppose he was probably 25. So a young, young man uh, in uh, Dechado and we were, uh, we were talking to him and he basically told the story that uh, of, uh, of the tsunami coming ashore and they managed to escape, but then they went, uh, I guess it was, I guess, I suppose it was his brother, uh, if I recall, that went back to, to get diapers and, and other things. Uh, ran back to their house, but of course, those that study tsunamis know they don't necessarily. It's not just one wave; it's it's really uh, a number of, of you know a number of uh, uh, number of uh, uh, waves that come ashore, and so uh, and so uh, so he was caught in it. A number of other people were who had gone back in because the, this village was so poor that they they were really just trying to recover anything they could. And so uh, and and you know I had already studied done some tsunami work, but uh, but then I continued doing tsunami work and. and shock work and so so it was really kind of the experience it was kind of neat you know in a, in a of course a sad way but also it was interesting to see that, that all of these things you know to, to in one trip to kind of experience you know maybe maybe three or four or five different things that we've 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 done research projects on many of them nsf funded uh, and to see them really kind of you know for lack of a better term you know actually occur almost you know in, in real time around us and so so it was kind of a, it was a but it was it was a great trip and and uh, um, you know I hopefully learned a lot from it and I know that uh, the ASC group did as well. Wow, that's a that's amazing. I <laughs> I know I probably wouldn't have uh, wanted to stay in that room if you <laughs> if I were you. I, I was I was so tired. I think I would have slept like on the column. I was we were like dying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, can I, can I get a change down the hall, please, so I don't fall into a hole? <laughs> Man, that's amazing. And uh, well, thank the, you. Oh, one of the things people, uh, I was going to say, one of the things that people don't realize, but back then, I don't know if it's changed, but they, um, they, oh, they so they use uh, a Spanish version, essentially a Spanish version of ACI 318. I mean, our other concrete experts probably, I'm not one, but would, would probably know if it's if it's very similar or identical or, or a little different, but. Um, but uh, the one thing that they don't require, at least back then, is they don't require inspection of the rebar, even in a commercial building like that. And so really? that's why, yeah, exactly. And so that's why they were able to to basically, uh, you know, uh, tie it, pour it while we were sleeping uh, and, and work on it. And, you know, and I guess the, but the aftershock was pretty strong. I forgot what it was, but it was a six something, six point something. And yeah. could definitely feel it. And of course, you, you don't go back to sleep after that. You're, you're up for the day. <laughs> <laughs> no coffee for me, thanks. <laughs> wow. So where can people find out about all this uh, great work that you're doing um, and, and follow along with that? Uh, let's see, I guess probably the, um, you know, obviously my, my web page here at Colorado State has, has you know, all the, the journal articles that, that really do a lot of the documentation. And, and of course, they always reference the, uh, the dissertation or the thesis that came, you know, came from that. And so, so if people want 
want to see the the extreme details, they can they can uh, you know go to those documents that are of course all online. You know, and uh, but I, I would say probably probably the, the the biggest body of work is probably in ASC journals as well as uh, engineering structures, journal of structural engineering, things like that. Uh, and of course, they can always email me, and I'll I'll fire them off something. Excellent. We'll be sure. Oh, I, I should I should mention. Not so much a plug for you guys because you do that yourselves, but uh, uh, you know all this all this data from these tests is available. Uh, you know, with with uh, on you know, I guess it's Design Safe CI now, but um, but but it's uh, it's available and it's the metadata is pretty good. I mean, people, you know, my understanding is people are using it. So um, so uh, you know, it's 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 out there if somebody wants to validate a model or do something with it. Yeah, that's a really good reminder because uh, you know even the old NIST data is getting uploaded to design safe uh, and cataloged and tagged and uh, so it's easy to find and use for anybody who wants to awesome thanks for your time today john this has been excellent and looking forward to uh are you coming to the the large facilities workshop in april i can't remember uh i won't be there but i'll i'll uh no i'm, I'm not coming to that i think let's see probably i will see uh, is it july or June yeah, or Summer Institute's uh, first week of June. Okay, so I'll I'll be there for a couple of days for the NIAC meeting and and to to you know see everybody there. Excellent. Well, looking forward to it, and uh, it'll be a good time down in San Antonio as always. <laughs> All take right, care, well, John. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your day. Good talking with you, man. All right, good talking with you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation and NARI. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please leave us a review so we can improve the show. These also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and your support. You can find out more about NARI at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at NARI Design Safe. Next week on the show, we have Scott Brandenburg from UCLA. He's built a career in geotechnical engineering stemming from his curiosity about how the world works. We'll talk about the fascinating world of geotechnical centrifuge testing at UC Davis and find out a lot about how the ground beneath our feet, something we often take for granted, is a more complex material than a lot of us realize. Thanks for listening.